and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Kind of cool, no? Mikkel Rantman, a hat trick in cool. Finland, line A score, 6-3 final. That's kind of cool. Extremely cool. I think it's exactly what you want if you're the NHL. Oh, without a doubt. That is, I mean, take the teams where you know there's a connection to those countries. Mm -hmm. I think it's an, ex I mean, obviously they know this too. It's an extreme growth area yes. for the NHL to be able to do something like that and have it work out like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if they're ready for a European division of the NHL yet, but uh, these seem to be going well. It could be the first of the four major North American sports to do that, mm -hmm. uh, to get a European division and end up coming together in yeah. the postseason. Anyways, it was a very good story. Yeah. Nice to see. Agreed. Unless, of course, you are a Columbus Blue Jackets fan. <laughs> If you're out there. Uh, yet another sports <laughs> equinox last night. They just keep coming, Jesse. Like bad takes on the Kyrie story. Except the sports equinox, I love the Kyrie story. I don't like it that much. All right, so we will get to all of it today. And we'll send you on to your weekend with a wonderful guest lineup. That's right. Fridays with Nate returns as the great Nate Burleson and I discuss the Eagles' first ever 8-0 start. And if Patrick Mahomes just might be the best we've ever seen. Ever. Ever. Kevin Bieksa will join the fray after Bieksa Day in Vancouver inspires the Canucks to a win over the Ducks. And our friend of the show's uh, last lap at the Rogers Arena. Very cool. Very cool Speaking of cool Kevin things. Bieksa. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. A lot going on. And the woman I've been calling the GOAT, Christine Sinclair, mm -hmm. will join me in studio. I've been chasing this one down for a while. Jesse, you remember, and almost fittingly, we had an interview lined up with Sinclair and lost it because she wanted to do more training in Portland. That's how you become the GOAT. <laughs> that is how you become the yeah. GOAT. We lost her to an extra bit of training yeah. on the pitch. Less media, more practice. And without a doubt. Uh, not only the greatest goal scorer in international football history, not only a wonderful leader and role model, but an author as well, Jesse. Her new book, The Long Game with Stephen Brunt, hit bookstores on Tuesday. We will discuss the book and whether or not Canada Soccer has finally reached out to her for the same kind of licensing deal that they worked out with Alfonso Davies. We'll do that all coming up, Jesse. You know that I think the world of Sinclair, mm -hmm. like understated brilliance on the pitch while never seeking attention off the pitch, yet standing for what she believes in, which is usually the greater good of her teammates and her sport. Like, I mean, I just wish we saw more <laughs> of that in sports these days. Uh, especially right now. I and mean, that's also part of what makes her the grow, right? It's not just the on-field. You call her the groat? The goat. <laughs> it's because you used <laughs> yeah. the term Kyle Lowry, the Kyle Lowry. Hammered into your head. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, goat, yeah, it's part of the reason that she is the, the goat, not mm -hmm. the grout. Um, because it's not just the on-field performance, on-pitch performance. Right. It's how she handles herself off the pitch as well. That greatest rouge of all time. Yes. Groat. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, Way greatest rouge of I all appreciate time. that. Right. I'm trying my best. <laughs> you know I got your back. Very but good. yeah, she's the, the, the thing that impresses me the most is, yeah, she's probably the greatest woman to ever play the game, mm -hmm. and she does it 
understated everywhere, yet when she needs to speak up for the greater good, mm -hmm. she does it all the time mm -hmm. and isn't afraid to do it. I just, I, there, I wish there were more people like that. No doubt. Period. Uh, it always seems to come from the folks, too, that don't make $40 million a year. You ever notice that? Yes. Or $10 million a year? I guess they shouldn't be shocked that money can corrupt. Looking forward to this one. Nate Burleson, Kevin Bieksa, and Sinky all coming up on this edition of Tim and Friends, but it all starts with first things first. So what's the news of the day, Stephanie Labbe? Mm. This is a very good one. Your goalkeeper crush. That is my goalkeeper crush. Uh, Chris writes in and says, Columbus Blue Jackets fan here, there is always tomorrow's game. <laughs> there is always tomorrow's game. And I'm getting glad to see Chris. I am, I'm happy to see that. Although yeah. it has been a tough start to the year for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, apparently Arash Madani, also a Columbus Blue Jackets fan. I know Danny Black works in the building also. So there's three of them at least. That's it. That's How many in Columbus? A few more. A little bit more than that. A few more. I, I a few assume, more than that. Yeah. I don't want to be mean. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, why don't we go to baseball? In the Let's World do Series. That. Here on First Things First, the Astros are heading back to Houston with a 3-2 lead in the World Series after taking Game 5 in Philly last night. Justin Verlander allowed one run over five innings to pick up his first career World Series win. Sounds crazy to say that. And the Astros made some clutch defensive plays late to say the least. They had quite a run. But has the clock struck midnight on the Cinderella Phillies, Timmy? I think so. Down 3-2 going to Houston. And the reason I kept saying that I think this bad boy is done in favor of Houston. I mean, the Astros were what? Plus 130, down two games to one in Philadelphia, and they were just slight underdogs in the series. Um, it's because the Astros, eventually, their defense matters. And last night was eventually, right? Yep. Trey Mancini comes in first inning in the field since October 5th. He makes what was an unbelievable playoff Kyle Schwarber at first base. And then Chaz McCormick, of course, in center field with a catch that will be relived for ages. Um, it was the very reason why I thought the Astros would eventually take over this World Series. And eventually, great pitchers will be great. Justin Verlander being one of them, of course, he is the story, he is the marquee, he is the dude that gets the number one star probably in this one, mm -hmm. but how about the bullpen? Like, I guess you need one after all. Once again, yeah. their ERA in the postseason is 0.88, the whip is 78, the opponent's batting average 127, like all best in Major League Baseball history with a minimum of 40 innings pitched. Now, we understand the bullpen has evolved and more innings pitched with more games, all that stuff, but they have been unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And the reason is they've got talent, they've got depth, and they've got defense. And you see it all in all of those numbers and in the last couple games. Yeah, this is why I like the the seven-game series in baseball. I know it's not really practical to have seven-game series the whole way throughout, but it feels like the cream is starting to rise to the top in this series in particular, which is what you said. And it's it's less about the Phillies struggling because they had those five home runs and then no hit, obviously, and then struggled to score. I think it's just more about the Astros pitching and defense and just being better. Admit, though, like Houston goes up one nothing, and then Kyle Schwarber, who went into the 
clubhouse after being no hit and said, I don't give a bleep about yeah. any of this bleep, mm -hmm. and then hits a home run to lead off the game Swagger. for the Phillies. Like, you're thinking the Phillies are going to do this again, mm -hmm. aren't they? Mm -hmm. Like, they are going to smash Verlander. This run is going to continue, and none of that happened. It fe I felt to me when I saw Schwarber hit the home run to lead off for the Phillies, I'm like, oh, this is going to happen again. He was in some trouble early, Verlander. Yeah. Like, the They're bullpen was going again. in the second inning. Without a doubt. And he found his class, the bullpen found their class, and I think by the end of all this, we're going to find out the class of Major League Baseball is, in fact, the Houston Astros in 2022. Game six goes tomorrow on Sportsnet. Uh, we continue but they here. are the fighting Phils. They are the They're fighting Phils, Jess. Cinderella it was a good story up until yeah. midnight, so we'll see. Uh, let's continue Dum. first things first. Uh, the latest on the Kyrie Irving controversy. The Nets announced last night that Irving has been Suspended for no less than five games after he failed to formally apologize during a news conference earlier in the day for the hurt caused by his social media post late last week. After the suspension was announced, Kyrie did issue an apology on Instagram. Now, we've been talking about Kyrie a lot this week, obviously. What's your reaction to this latest development? I get this can be exhausting, honestly. It can be confusing. Uh, it's confusing to me. I get that you can open up Twitter and see a bunch of tweets that can insinuate something else is going on here with Kyrie Irving, and those tweets can be convincing. But I think this show has been pretty consistent about standing up for what's right without being too sensitive to every little thing. Kyrie was wrong here. And I know that whataboutism, the yeah, but what about this? Or what about that? Like it all preys on truths, half-truths, and just a little bit of ignorance. And it drives a wedge between us, and I absolutely hate it. Like, we can talk about paradoxes that exist. I heard a great man talk about it being both possible and necessary to see paradoxes, to see ambiguity, absurdity, and gray areas everywhere, but also very important not to be paralyzed by those absurdities those gray areas, those paradoxes. We can talk about red herrings, about people screaming about things that are somewhat related, but only to serve to distract you from the topic at hand. So here are the facts. Kyrie Irving tweeted a link to an anti-Semitic movie. And I get that Kyrie seems to be in the news all the time, and it can feel like people are going after him. But the NBA has had very similar reactions to anti-black rhetoric or tropes, anti-gay comments, and hate speech of any kind. In fact, Myers Leonard mm -hmm. uttered an offensive anti-Semitic term on a gaming stream, and just like Kyrie, he got hit. He was fined and suspended just over a year ago. And even though Leonard apologized and later worked with the Anti-Defamation anti League, the NBA and the Nets gave Kyrie Irving every opportunity to simply say, I'm sorry. They let him play. They tried to work out a deal. And Kyrie simply would not say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. He was asked specifically, do you have anti-Semitic beliefs? And wouldn't simply say, no, I don't have anti-Semitic beliefs. So while some are making Kyrie out to be the victim, he was afforded more, way more, than Myers Leonard was. Again, all he had to do was say, sorry. All he had to do is say, I don't have anti-Semitic beliefs. And he would not and did not until his suspension was announced. Then he said all of it. So if you're wondering why the suspension, wonder no more. 
And if you're still confused about the rules of engagement here, just be a good human. There it is. Um, incredibly well said, as usual. Um, I think the Myers-Leonard um, situation is very important because it's an example of how there's a pathway to progress. Right. And he chose himself to go and learn more about the Jewish community and, and learn, as, as he put it, specifically the weaponization of anti-Semitism and how it's on the rise. Uh, but Myers Leonard did that himself. Right. And there was a pathway to healing and progress. And uh, you, you just hope that Kyrie eventually gets there and then they can move on and continue playing basketball. Uh, no doubt about that. Yeah, and I'll have, like, if you want to have the conversation about Joe Sai and Alibaba, I'll have that conversation yeah. with you. If you want to have conversations about who's targeted, who isn't targeted, I'll have all those conversations, and I think they're good for people no matter how uncomfortable they are. Mm. But in this one, it's simple. All he had to do was say, I'm sorry, and I'll take the necessary steps moving forward, and it took a suspension for him to yeah. say those things. Yeah, it's just very refreshing to, to hear you say, like, you know, it's kind of enough with the whataboutism, because that is rampant, not just with this issue, but it's rampant everywhere right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And the conversation that we're having here is about anti-Semitism, which is on the rise. And I think good humans recognize that that bleep can't be yeah, tolerated. No doubt. Right. Uh, okay, let's continue with first things first. Uh, just two games on the NHL schedule today after a very busy Thursday. Arguably, the game of the night happened in Edmonton. The Oilers appeared to be on their way to a sixth straight win, <laughs> leading 3-1 after 40 minutes. But the Devils scored three unanswered goals in the third to win it 4-3, what changed in the third period? I mean, two goals in seven seconds will yeah. change a lot of things. And it should be a great teaching point for the Oilers and hopefully not a fatal flaw. Like, I don't know this early in the season if I can determine the difference between good teaching moment and fatal flaw. And I know there are, that there are those in Edmonton that would suggest that their defense is a fatal. Listen, you give up a 3-1 lead you can't let that second goal happen. Mm -hmm. Like, that second goal is something everyone teaches. Like, if you're the team that has struggled in the past defensively and you've just given up two goals to tie the game, to have this seven seconds off of the last goal is a bit damning. So, I'm sure Jay Woodcroft, I, I heard it after the game. Tyson Berry said as much. Uh, other guys said as much like we cannot have that happen to us in a game like that and to me honestly that's the difference between good and great mm -hmm. where, where you can stop the slide immediately and they couldn't but let's give some credit here and I've been trying to tell everybody that the New Jersey Devils are not your dad's New <laughs> nobody Jersey Devils. Nobody wants to talk about the Devils though. <laughs> nobody wants to talk about that's the Devils. They went into Vancouver yeah. right and I said listen I get you're pissed off that they went 5-2, but this is a pretty good team. And lo and behold, they just out-offensed Edmonton. Like, even the shot numbers. Did you, did you see the final shot numbers? 43-37. 43-37 for the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. Look at their shot numbers for the entire year so far. Small sample size, yeah. understood. They are far and away the highest shot differential in the National Hockey League. Crazy. Almost five shots difference. Wow. So this is shots for minus shots against. You get the most shots on goal, you give up the least against. The Devils are far and away number one. In fact, 
if you go historically, and I'm not saying they're going to keep this up for the entire season, and we've already gone through on this show what on pace means long term, <laughs> especially early. That's a shot at me. But this will put it into context, right? Like, the highest shot differential in NHL history was the 1974-75 Buffalo Sabres. And it was 1089. And right mm. now, the, the Devils are 1627. They've had a softer schedule. I understand it. But I'm telling you right now, these aren't your dad's New Jersey Devils. And they might be one of the better stories, depending on the goaltending. There's a little injury to Mackenzie Blackwood. We'll see how long that lasts. But they got some skill on that team. They're fun. Yeah. Um, and that brat that Gino was talking about. Pretty good. Franchise <laughs> record point streak to start the year. Uh, very good. Straight. Uh, yeah. Quickly, is something going on in Calgary, or is this still too early to get worked up about it at this point? Yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I don't think that we're going to see Jonathan Uberdo. And listen, they've lost three in a row. Not a huge shock. Jonathan Uberdo has been held off the score sheet. In regulation, too. In all three of yeah. those games. Uh, I think it's something definitely to keep an eye on, but we're not going to do this three games jump off the bandwagon that most people said this was the best team in Canada mm -hmm. to start the season after what was a we tumultuous offseason. Yeah. They're going to have to find how to get Jonathan Uberdo comfortable. I'm not saying he's going to have 118 points like he had last year, but I'm not saying he's going to go a bunch of games scoreless yeah. either. There's an adjustment period for sure. I think yeah. uh, Elias Lindholm, the, the only thing that was a little bit troubling for me is that he said that they had not really a players-only meeting, but meetings about sort of the last couple losses, and they didn't re respond, and they didn't come out with the energy that he thought they were going to, which but, is, is what would be concerning. For but me. over 82, I agree with you, but over 82, I mean, we've covered this enough. That happens, right? Yeah, yeah. That you could be flat for three games. It's that happens acceptable. to the best teams. Yeah. Now, if it continues to 10 games, mm -hmm. I guarantee you we'll be here doing that. But the the effort, the intensity, all those things, like sometimes there are some ebbs and flows, but I, I'm with you. If we see it continue, then you can start to worry about it. Uh, we are talking about the Oilers and Devils going up and down mm -hmm. uh, the ice in Edmonton. Speaking of high scoring, how about the Kevin BX-inspired Canucks, <laughs> a strong defensive 8-5 win. <laughs> PD five points, Kuzmenko, third period, Hattie, and Pedersen. If he rounds into form, like we've all seen the talent mm -hmm. that guy has, the vision that guy has, if he rounds into form, well, we'll ask Kevin himself. That's right, kids. Coming up, the man himself, Kevin BX, will join us to reflect on his big night. In the lower mainland, Christine Sinclair, speaking of Burnaby's own, will join us in studio to discuss her new memoir in Canadian soccer. Plus, after the break, Nate Burleson drops by for his weekly appearance. Could Patrick Mahomes chase down Brady for the GOAT title? We'll discuss big-time guest lineup on Friday. Let's go, kids. The best time of my career was being a Vancouver Canuck and being in this dressing room. It honestly means a lot for me to come back here and, and sign a one-day deal and retire in this special place that I enjoyed my career in. So, thank you. This is almost a must-win game for the Phillies. Two and two the count as Pena lifts one in the air to left field. It's hit pretty well. Schwarber's back at the wall and will watch it go. Real Muto drives one right center field. Going back on to McCormick to the wall. He leaps and he caught it. The Houston Astros are one win away from a World Series championship. First time throws. Caught touchdown Brown. 
Hurts throwing. Open. Who else? Goddard. Touchdown. Philadelphia 8-0 for the first time in franchise history. Week number nine underway as the Eagles handle their business. 8-0 for the first time in their team's history. And I am Jack for another edition of Fridays with Nate. is one of the busiest men in show business. Joins me for a quick jaunt around the National Football League. So please help me welcome Nate Burleson back to Nate Dog. What's up, regulator? Mount <laughs> up. Uh, listen, I want to get right into this because there's a lot to talk about today. We were blessed with the busiest deadline in NFL history. Do yeah. you have a winner? And sometimes winners and losers can be a little cliche. But do you have a deal that you think could be a real difference maker down the stretch? And listen, man, they were wheeling and dealing. It was like Ocean's Eleven out there. <laughs> but I think the, the difference maker in the winners, I'll give you two. I love Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins for a couple of reasons. One, you're just adding more firepower to a defense that already has an explosive offense. And not to mention, this is another thing people aren't talking about. And I know it's, it's a subtlety within the wrinkle of NFL trades. You have a guy going from Denver to Miami that makes a big difference when you have pass rushers that are rushing if you have home games late in the season trust me I know it sounds wild but when you have those guys playing in warm weather in those late game seasons when it's typically winter somewhere else um, it makes a big difference mm. now as far as like somebody that I love that landed somewhere it hurts me to say this because TJ Hawkinson was a tight end that I thought would be a line forever one of those 10-year-plus guys, but him going to the Vikings, first of all, within the division, that's kind of gangster. Yeah. But now you add him to what already is a really good offense. We know that Justin Jefferson is the man. Adam Thielen, when healthy, is a monster. The running game is there. Now you add this pass catcher, and we're showing clips of him in the red zone. This is perfect because this is where he's going to be the most effective. You have the run game. You have the play action now. Kirk Cousins can pick his head up off of that play fake and then dial it up to different pass catchers, one being T.J. Hawkinson, a dominant, dominant tight end. And trust me when I say this, they'll most likely narrow down some type of deal soon. That trade wasn't just for him to land there and catch right. some balls. I'm pretty sure they'll make him one of the highest-paid tight ends in NFL history. So we're talking about the division. We're talking about pass catchers. Vikings and Bears both add pass catchers. Are you right. surprised that the Packers did not? No, I'm not. Because if they really wanted to make a move, they would have done something. And if they really were concerned about pass catchers, they would not have let their pass catcher go in Devontae Adams. Um, you know, I saw what the Bears did. Shout out to Chase Claypool. You know, he's one of those guys that played so well his rookie season. It's just hard for you not to see him find some type of success. And it just seemed like it wasn't clicking this year, which is yeah. odd now. The carousel quarterbacks, that might have something to do with it. But back to the Packers. I just think eventually they have to figure it out. And if they don't, this just isn't going to be that season. We're already looking at a struggling Green Bay Packers team. Um, within a division, the Vikings are running away with this thing. And I got to be honest with you, even though the Lions are 1-5, there isn't a big difference between the Packers, the Bears, and the Lions right now. I'm just talking about pure play. So um, the, the shocker for me wasn't that they didn't make a trade. I think the Packers are stubborn as an organization. Yeah. They are rolling with who they got, and they're hoping that some of these guys will step up. I still believe Romeo Dobbs, and I've been saying his name every week, and occasionally he'll show you yep. some crazy catch that really proves what I'm saying right. 
Um, but at the same time, we'll have a couple of mistakes here and there. But Romeo Dobbs will emerge as Aaron Rodgers' favorite target. You know, it's funny. I had heard that they were in on Claypool, but the Steelers, Steelers I, I heard the same believe, thing. Yeah, that the Bears' yeah. second-round pick would fit better or be a better pick for them than the Packers pick. Uh, they might have more faith in the Packers than I do at this point. Uh, the Eagles take care of business last night. 8-0, best team in the NFC. Jalen Hurts has been really good. Speaking of pass catchers, they have added some real dynamic pass catchers to a great running game. But Nate Dog, I'm going to ask you the tough question. Are yeah. they good enough to win it all? Yes, and I know it's early. You know, it's, it's real early. You know, I, I, I'm that guy that, like, I get really excited for the party, and, you know, my friend's like, hey, yo, chill out, relax. Too soon, man, too soon. <laughs> it, the party hasn't even started yet. Um, and that's how I feel like when I'm looking at the Eagles. I want to say, listen, they're going to be, you know, Super Bowl contenders, and, and here it is, another magical run like Carson Wentz. Um, but the only thing that concerns me okay. is that <sighs> – I don't want to say that they're playing too well too early because there's no such thing. Because if I'm on that Eagles team, I'm looking in the mirror saying, damn right, we're undefeated. And we're the only ones. And we're playing dominant football on both sides of the ball. We have everything that we need right now. They haven't had a big injury bug. They haven't had that dip where production wasn't there or they weren't in rhythm. And that stuff does happen. So it's either that's going to hit them at some point in the season and it's going to be unfortunate in December where they're just not playing their best football mm -hmm. or this is truly a magical run and they have found the recipe. I want to say that they found the recipe. The reason I get excited about this squad, one, A.J. Brown is going clean off and Devontae Smith is still sitting there waiting for a breakout game and he can have one at any moment. Their tight end play is phenomenal. Miles Sanders looks like the best running back at times. And when Jalen Hurts picks that ball up and throws a slant route to a guy like A.J. pick up 20 or 30 or even 40 yards, like, that's exciting to me. Yeah. And he's doing all of this without having to run around like a madman. Right. And I say that respectfully. That's one of his superpowers. Bro, we're watching him play football over the last couple of weeks, and he's not even concerned about running. So the reason I have faith in this offense, whenever this offense does break down or the receivers might not be open or they're not in rhythm, guess what? They're very uber-athletic quarterback and drop back and just have design runs call for him, which can jumpstart this offense yeah. at any given I completely understand what you're talking about when uh, when you talk about it being early. As you've seen from my Instagram, I peaked way too early, about 16 <laughs> or 17 years old. I, 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 listen, so I I'm, I'm not going to say that you're lying because you were one <laughs> handsome son of a gun. Ooh, all right, speaking of uh, winning it all, last two Super Bowl champs meeting in Tampa, neither in a great spot. Rams, Bucks, both three and four. Uh, old school wrestling reference. Could this be one of those loser leaves town match? Oh, you know, this is uh, one of those uh, I need a tag team partner type match. You yeah. know, this is... This is that old school junkyard dog chain around the neck, get nasty, do whatever it takes to win it type match. Yeah. And I believe that if you're going to pick one squad, it has to be the Buccaneers. And it's really tough because neither of these offenses are fulfilling expectations. The reason I say that, though, is because there's certain things I feel like they can fix. You're looking at Tom Brady and Mike Evans not on the same page. You see Mike Evans drop a couple of balls, which mm -hmm. is uncharacteristic. Running game not getting going where we saw Leonard Fournette doing his thing early on in the season. I feel like those things are correctable. When it comes to the Rams, they're not protecting well. 
The offensive line has struggles. They're getting the ball out of Matt Stafford's hands so quickly because they're scared of him getting banged up, which has already happened already this season. I don't see some of the issues that the Rams are facing that um, that are issues that, that can be corrected. So I, I feel like the Bucks are the squad that can kind of right the ship before right. the season's over. And, and on they, top of that, the, look at the division, division that they're in. Like, they could have a, a 500 record, a below 500 record, and still win the division. I do this to you every year. Last year it was is Travis Kelsey the best tight end we've ever seen. Uh, the Sunday Nighter features a couple five and two teams. Titans visit Arrowhead in Kansas City. This is an, I'm going to give you some stats here. Okay, it'll be Patrick Mahomes' okay. 71st career start with 105 passing yards. He'll pass Matt Stafford for the most passing yards in a quarterback's first 75 career starts. Again. Uh, it'll also be with three touchdown passes. He would pass Dan Marino for the most th- throwing scores in their first 75 starts. Again, this is just in start number 71 for Mahomes. I go all that way. Got about a minute here. Is Mahomes the best you've ever seen? <laughs> Why would you do that, bro? Why would you ask you like that? I just I don't no, 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 I, I don't know that he gets the credit. I, I can answer this. I can answer this question. He will be the best that we've ever seen. Statistically, he will go down as right. the best quarterback because he can, the, his style of play. He can play for a long time, and he still has that enthusiasm. Um, the creativity of the play calling helps him out a lot. The superstars, yep. the speed that he has, and on top of that, I feel like he will win two more Super Bowls. If we consider all of that, multiple Super Bowl winner, the stats are there. And he's just a guy that we all love to watch, entertaining as hell. Yeah, he'll go down as the greatest quarterback to ever play this game. Sorry, Tom. See, now that was a wonderful answer to what was a very difficult question, Nate. Tom. No doubt. And, and, and don't worry. I, listen, I'll, I'll tell the people. I'm at Nate Burleson on Twitter. If you want to like, <laughs> but listen, I, I kind of sort of agree with you in the way that we – listen, we'll never say Tom's the GOAT for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. what Mahomes is doing is absolutely <sighs> unseen before uh, I'm glad to, I'm glad to see you again Nate thanks for doing this man yeah. all right brother see you next week we will see you next week Nate Burleson after the break we go from Nate to the goat that's right Christine Sinclair pops by to discuss her new memoir her future plans and all things Canadian soccer can't wait Christine Sinclair next All right, kids, here we go. Just two weeks away from the start of the World Cup in Qatar, Canada's men's first appearance since 1986. The coach who led him there, John Herb, but no stranger Canadian soccer fans. And next week, right here on Tim and Friends, we will air a four-part interview series daily featuring Herbman and Stephen Brunt. Here's a sneak peek. Look, you've faced and I, uh, some challenges. You okay talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's it's part of the story. You know, my father, he suffered from mental illness, sort of being in and out of psych wards at the time, and they weren't good places back then. Yeah, they weren't places that you want a young person going and seeing, to be fair. It was an ex-England player. He said, um, you're a great teacher coach. Just a shame that you'll never coach at that highest level because you've never experienced standing out there in a centre circle in front of 50,000 people.
It was like a pat on the back and a slap in the face. It's bronze again for Canada. I'd accepted the England job. I was heading back home. We'd made a decision. And that was it. That was that was me done. I was in my mind. I was on the aeroplane. There is John Herdman, the Canadian national men's team coach. was the coach of the women's side. People were saying, oh, he strong-armed himself into the role. I strong-armed myself into anything. The Canadian men definitely have a different aura about them. John Herdman, what a job he continues to do with the Canadian men's national team. And I said, a talented effing team have never qualified for a World Cup since 1986. Do you understand that? If you don't understand that, you will miss one of the biggest opportunities this country's ever had. Canada is the most improved team in world football and continue to garner, and rightfully so, global headlines. I always say a little prayers to me Nana, right? Me, me Nana is the one person who always had my, always looked after us as a kid. I remember when the snow started to fall, eh? It was, honestly, I, I could cry because I felt like, you know, she was there. When the first goal went in, it was like, phew, holy shit. From obscurity to unforgettable, this is the moment the country has waited for. Canada is going to the World Cup. It all then became about just making sure we enjoyed the moment with the fans, and it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. My next guest is someone who knows both those men pretty well, as well as Canadian soccer. She played for one, wrote a book with the other. Playing the long game is the name of the book, coming out on Tuesday, wherever you get your fine books. And oh yeah, she just won her third NWSL title, has an Olympic gold, was robbed at another Olympic gold, and I call her the GOAT. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Canadian <laughs> footballing legend Christine Sinclair. Thank you for coming in and doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, and just to prove I'm not blowing smoke, earlier this year FIFA awarded a special award simply called The Best. Um, I know you're a let the work speak for itself kind of leader. What's it like winning an award called The Best, being honored with Ronaldo and getting a video message from another BC native in Steve Nash? Uh, yeah, that was pretty crazy when, when I found out that Ronaldo and I were receiving this, like, the best award it's like what um yeah i don't know what to say it's been a journey it's been a ride do you um, do you ever think back to like burnaby girls soccer club oh and, God. and like, what that girl would have thought of what just happened i drive by bonzer field that's where like i grew up playing in the gravel field yeah. people don't understand the gravel <laughs> field that we play on in bc yeah. um no i would have never dreamt that this was possible at all um, I, I mean I was just playing the game I loved and it's taken me around the world do you think there's a message in that is there something in that book that kind of ties all that together is that why you want to sit down and do a memoir uh, I think I the number one reason I wanted to do it was to have female role models out there for young girls that I mean I grew up idolizing Robbie Alomar and yeah, I think times are changing, um, but yeah, I think it's important for young girls to be able to 
watch female role models and watch these these players that and help them realize that anything's possible. I've heard that the process of writing a book can be hard, it can be rewarding. What was it like for you? All of the above. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I am a private person, yeah. I'm quiet, and I'm sure there were days where Stephen was like, oh my God, this is going <laughs> to take forever and this is going to be awful. Um, but then there were days where it just like flew by. It was almost like therapy, thinking back to, yeah, all the steps along the way and all the not so great times that I've experienced as an athlete. Um, it, I think those are important to share because I think a lot of people just see the, the glory, the gold medals, things like that. Uh, but it, there's a lot more to us than just that. Without a doubt. And I don't think enough of us do the job telling those stories. I don't think a lot of the folks at home understand some of the steps that it takes even just to make a national team, never mind score. 190 <laughs> international goals. <laughs> I, I love how you're not done and that you've committed to playing uh, with Portland and Canada leading up to the 2023 World Cup, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and can I just say that uh, the announcement in Portland was like a chef's kiss. For those who haven't seen it, uh, here it is. Oh my God, you have it. <laughs> I've been told I'm not allowed to swear, so. Um, announcing it here. I'll be back next year. And Seattle. <laughs> All right, you don't have to be embarrassed by it. It, it was wonderful. Is there... It was great. It was... <laughs> Except I have teammates that play in Seattle, right, but uh, right. I'll apologize to them when I get to Brazil. For those who don't know, you also played your university soccer. There is a tie to Portland. There is a, I'm Portland through and through. Right. I have uncles that played for the Timbers, and if you spend enough time in Portland, you realize that you hate Seattle. <laughs> um, just the sports side right. of things. So. Right. Of course, and that's and the rivalry that we yeah, love. I had to, you know, cheer up the fans a little bit. So. <laughs> okay, so for a lazy dude like me who topped out at City TV Athlete of the Week, on the pitch, what the hell is left to accomplish for you? The World Cup. Simple. Um, we've obviously had a lot of success at Olympic Games. Uh, I'm not saying we're going there and we are for sure going to win, but we're going to get everything we have. We have the team to do it. And just, yeah, time to prove to the world that what we do in the Olympics isn't a fluke and that, yeah, Canada's here to stay. Have you enjoyed the evolution of your game now as a veteran of this team and seeing these young women grow beside you? Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to take the field with your Jesse Flemings, your Ashley Lawrence's, Kadisha, like, there's so much talent being produced in Canada right now. Um, and I'm just along for the ride. The veterans on the team, we've, we've handed the team over to these players and we're just along for the ride and helping create a culture that the team can be proud of, obviously helping on the field as well, but mm -hmm. it's their team. And yeah, we're just there to, to help foster it. Uh, I, I know you, uh, you tweeted out Port Lanada, I want to say that properly and not yeah, screw it up. Yeah, that sounded about right. Yep. Port Lanada. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of Canadians. Uh, I, I scroll through Twitter and <laughs> I see um, women dotted across Europe playing professional soccer. W when you started with the national team, could you envision 
kind of that landscape for women's soccer? No. And I mean, we still have a long way to go. Yes, we do. But no. I remember when I first joined the national team having residency camps like in Vancouver right. where we'd spend four months together because there, there wasn't places for, for women to go play professionally. And I experienced the fall of the WPS, uh, the second iteration of a professional league in the US. Mm -hmm. And to see where the NWSL is right now, to see the professional leagues in Europe, it's an exciting time and it's only going to continue to grow. So I asked on the pitch on purpose because it seems like there is a lot to do off the pitch for football and in particular women's football in this country. And I know that the last chapter of the book is kind of a, a manifesto for Canadian women's soccer. What would you like to work towards? A professional league here. Um, I look at Europe, I look at the US and there's a a clear pathway for their young young girls to to play professionally to make youth national teams and to make the full national team the those kids are like there's a pathway for success and mm -hmm. i think here in canada players make the national team by chance still right and not everyone Which is ridiculous. it's ridiculous yeah. i think we're the only team in the top like 25 that doesn't have a professional league mm -hmm. and i worry for the future if we don't have one that we're just going to be passed by in an afterthought. And Diana Matheson, yeah, is spearheading the charge to bring professional soccer to Canada. And yeah, hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll have that. For those who want more information, girlswithgoals.ca is one place that you can go to get that. Now, I kind of, uh, I leaned into the CSA a little bit uh, a couple we of weeks back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the CSA and uh, the CPL have a deal. Could that be a pathway to women's professional? Like, why can't we just play in those stadiums that the C and I think the CPL is a is infrastructure that we needed. And I understand mm -hmm. that it's very complicated, and there are a lot of twines in there. Yeah. However, could we not create a women's professional league that is the same as I know in Colombia? I keep going back to this for women's professional hockey, but in Colombia they just split the badges. And they said, if you support this badge for men, support this badge for women as well, and it worked wonderfully. Could you see something like that where the CSA already having to deal with the CPL creates a league that is one and the same? Yeah, I mean, I think anything's possible at this point. Um, unfortunately, I, the CSA just, they're dragging their feet when it comes to professional women's soccer. And I mean, to be fair, like the CPL, they needed the CPL to have a World Cup at home. Right. So uh, I don't, I, I'm there, hesitant. There was, a, there was a means to an end there, <laughs> yeah. and you wonder if that's And then obviously that brings in the whole like CSB stuff, and that's just right. a whole different ball game. Um, I'm not sure. They, they're dragging their feet, and this is a women's team that has been successful for the past at least the past 10 years yeah and they've done nothing and honestly our youth national teams have moved backwards and mm. so i think a lot of us have just lost faith in that, that that to me is as, as a dude sitting here and a fan of canadian soccer is shocking because you guys carried the csa on your back for 
the better part of a decade. So I'll just say that. You don't have to say it. Okay, I'll just say it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and honestly, um, I know that I got passionate about the CSA and the lack of a deal and the licensing agreement with Alfonso Davies. And in that impassioned plea, I brought up the fact that you tweeted out that there, you were still waiting to hear from the CSA. So I'll just ask you this. Simple question. Have you heard from the CSA on a licensing deal for you and or any other woman? I should stop tweeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, to be fair, they have reached out to our lawyers. Okay. and um, Start of a process. Started a process. However, it's 10 years too late. We've been fighting this battle and asking for a licensing agreement and then like from our jersey sales, things like that, and they've always told us it's not possible. So, like, yes, they've made steps to move forward, but it's too late. Yeah. I, uh, I said to Dwayne DiRosario earlier this week in this studio that, unfortunately, to be a trailblazer, sometimes you have to cut through the horse bleep. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see you, and hopefully there is another crown on the way out, but I see you as one of those people that has blazed the trail in women's soccer, and even if you don't reap the rewards in your career, I'm sure there will be women that come after you that will get down on the, on the altar that is oh, Christine Jesus. Sinclair and say, thank you for putting in that work, thank you for sending that tweet, and I know that sometimes it's not always uh, given immediately, but there will be roses for that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I've always said that I'm going to leave this sport in a better place than I found it. And yeah. if that means consistently battling the CSA, <laughs> um, trying to fight for a professional league, don't even get me started with FIFA. Like, um, <laughs> so if, if I'm the one to do it with my teammates, we, we carry that proudly because the young kids, I mean, yeah. yeah, hopefully it's in a better place 10, 15 years from now. Uh, we need more athletes and just folks like you. Oh, I appreciate thank that. Thank you. Uh, honestly, been a fan for years, and even though I'm a keeper and profesh my crush on Stephanie Labay, uh -huh. I'm honored every time that you come oh. on this show. And you said role model off the top. I wrote on my script, you're a great role model, oh. one of the best ever to pull on the boots. Oh, so thank, thank you very you. much, and this door is always open. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, <laughs> the GOAT, Christine Sinclair. When we come back, Kevin Bieksa will join us about his night in Vancouver and winning the draw quite emphatically off Cam Fowler. That's next, right here on Tim and Friends. Sinclair is a treat. That was very, very cool. There are some responses online if we have time. And I, I don't want to hijack the block or anything, but if you want to, it just there's very few people in sports that come across real earnest mm -hmm. to the point. And even in like how humble she is and how direct she is on certain things. It all comes across as just earnest. Like, it doesn't come across as, I'm trying to manipulate this. It doesn't come across as, no. here's something where I can make more money. It comes across as, I'm just being real. Well, some people, um, 
I don't know. It's not. It's some people in the world, you know, in this business, the light goes on and you change. Right. But she's in here and you're talking to her and then the same, light same. goes on and it's the exact same. Same, same. It's the same person, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is But different. she comes across that way, yeah. which, is, which is even more. And I think that's why people really like her. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. All right. Um, want to get to those later? Yeah, sure. Yeah? sure. Yeah? Sure. Okay. Get to them later. Whatever you want to do. No, that's fine. Whatever. Later works. Well, we got 90 minutes today. Later works. All right. Kevin Bexler will join us in a couple minutes, uh, a day after his night in Vancouver. But first, news of the day. And some afternoon action in the National Hockey League. Jackets and Habs were in Finland as a part of the NHL's Global Series. So if you're wondering why the hell there was a game at 2 p.m. Eastern today, it's because they were playing in Finland. Prior to the game, Patrick Laine, fellow Finn, Mikko Rantanen, take the ceremonial face-off. And in the second period, look who it is. Miko Rantanen, outweighing Elvis Merzlikens, scoring from a sharp angle. That's a snipe. First goal in his home country, and it's 3 0 Avs. Later in the frame, now 3 1, delayed penalty. Guess what? Line A scores as well, already with an assist. He goes five hole, second point of the night in his hometown, no less. Makes it 3 2. Third period, now tied at three. Colorado power play. Kel McCarr's shot. At least he tees up, man, and that's the one-timer. Second goal of the game, 4-3. Minutes to go in the game, now 5-3. Columbus Puller goalie, Nathan McKinnon, will get it to Rantanen for the hat trick. That is a wonderful story in his home country as Colorado wins 6-3 the final. Rantanen serenaded off the ice. Meanwhile, the Sens releasing a statement today confirming that the process has been initiated for the sale of the team. Statement went on to say, a condition of any sale will be that the team remains in Ottawa and that the organization will have no further comment on the process at this time. So it is official, they're up for sale. Ryan Reynolds, welcome to Canada. I can see the documentary right now. (laughs) Bruins making headlines today as they've signed defenseman Mitchell Miller to an entry-level contract today. Miller, who was drafted by the Coyotes in 2020, but the pick was renounced due to charges of assault and horrible stories of bullying a fellow student in 2016 while in the eighth grade. Here's Don Sweeney being asked about it. Yeah, I I have. And as I referenced earlier, uh, personally, this has been a struggle um, as to what is right and what is wrong. And I don't, I can't, you know, categorically tell you this is the absolute right decision. Um, this is an opportunity that we're providing for a young man that uh, is going to work uh, to continue to earn trust and respect as each and every one of us do every day. And um, as I said, my own personal judgment on this um, wasn't the final say. Uh, it was just part of the equation. Uh, I appreciate the honesty from Don Sweeney, but I also heard that they didn't talk to the family of the young man who was bullied before they signed him. Uh, We'll see how this works out, and if, in fact, they do, bring him in. All right, let's go to tennis, and Felix Auger-Aliassime has been on an absolute tear. 15 straight matches entering today's quarterfinal against uh, France Tiafo at the Paris Masters. And Felix looking for a spot in the semifinals against Tiafo. In the first set, the Canadian with some great defense at the net. Check this out as he was able to put away the winner. Oh. 
Looked like they were playing pickleball for a second there. Right now. Felix took the first sec 6-1. Up a break, second set gets Tiafo on the run, finishes off with another pretty nice volley. Tiafo just no answers for Felix to match point. There is no stopping this young man right now. Jose Eliassime, 16 straight matches, three straight tournaments, looking to make it four onto the semifinals. Oh yeah, also going to the AP Tour, APT Tour. I feel like Tiafo, this smile there, he's like, yeah, I knew this was coming. Felix is on another world right now, another right. level. He's going to the APT, ATP, I can't say any of this. <laughs> it's the finals, you know what I'm talking it's about. It's Friday, it's all good. <laughs> oh, I am, I am already out on the weekend, I am sorry. If this is a mail-it-in, sorry, Jay Onright, I'm stealing that for a day. <laughs> Up next for Felix is uh, Holger Rune of Norway, who he beat in the final of last week's Swiss Indoor. With a win tomorrow, Felix will tie Bianca Andreescu for the longest winning streak ever by a Canadian tennis player, but you've seen that on the board for the last 10 seconds while I tried <laughs> to say ATP. There we go. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Cole. Great to be a part of the team again. Coming back and walking into this arena, it was such a good feeling. Stepping on the ice, I don't know if you guys saw it, morning skate, but I dominated out there. Like, it wasn't the cup finals. It wasn't scoring the biggest goal in franchise history. <laughs> it was, but honestly, I joke around about that. It was honestly, the most proud thing I am is the culture that I helped build in this room for about eight to 10 years. It, it honestly means a lot for me to come back here and, and sign a one-day deal and retire in this special place that I enjoyed my career. So, thank you. I keep thinking about not just doing this, and the Canucks aren't just doing this for me, but it's for my family, my friends, the fan base. To give everybody a little bit of closure to my career and celebrate it and have a fun night. The pride of Grimsby, Ontario, number three, Kevin Bieksa. Awesome. Joining me now from Vancouver is the man, the myth, the legend, Kevin BX. A big shot, been too long. Uh, that seemed like a really special night last night. It was amazing. You know, I, I'm such a big deal now. I'm surprised I'm even doing these little shows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but because I like you, here right. I am. Uh, I appreciate it. T two things that I liked about last night. In fact, I love. I love that you had your not so little guy Cole with you, and that you put on the gear and went out with the boys. Like, did you ask to do that? Did they ask to do that? Like, what's going on there? Tim, that's the one thing that I, I pushed back on a little bit was I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do the morning skate, yeah. and they wanted me to do that, and I thought that was a lot of fun. And yeah. it was such a good feeling, like all these great memories rush back from being on that ice and being in drills. I mean, I only did the one drill, and, and then I kind of left because I wanted to get out of the way. But the skating out for the uh, the opening face-off in full gear, I pushed back on a little bit, but they really, <laughs> really wanted to do it. They thought the fans would really be into it. And it turned out well. It was it was a little bit of a surprise that my daughter was going to be dropping the puck with. Uh, I knew Daniel Sedin would be there, but to have my daughter there, and I actually requested Cam Fowler because they asked me, and the Ducks coaches were pretty good about it too. Who do you want to take it against? Because they don't, obviously don't have Getzi anymore as the captain. So I asked for Cam because he was my D partner for two and a half years. But what a special night! Amazing feeling. Family and friends uh, had a blast, and 
Now we're going to a big book signing right now, so the party continues. <laughs> nice. And, and by the way, a clean face-off win against Fowler. Like, clean. Snap, snapped it back. So now <laughs> I think I'm 3-0 and as a Vancouver Canuck in the face-off circle, just adding to my repertoire. <laughs> nice, nice. Stanchion goals, biggest in, uh, in franchise history, and a clean face-off win on Kevin BX tonight. Hey, hey, the, the speech in the dressing room about the culture and the Canucks tweeted this out and it went over really well in Vancouver. Like what, what made you want to go there? Well, I think they asked me to address the team and, and I didn't realize, I mean, I realized I was mic'd up for the whole process, but I wasn't sure what was going to be public and whatnot. So, um, I don't know you guys, if you listen to the speech, I just spoke from the heart and I kind of told them how my tenure went and w- without preaching to them, um, just kind of let them know like the success we had, how it kind of happened and whatever they wanted to take and draw from that, they could, but just spoke from the heart. And um, it, it's funny, my son was in there the whole time and I, and I talk and coach him all the time. He's heard and seen everything I've said before. And sometimes he's not that impressed. And one of the players came up to him after and said, yeah, that, that was a good speech that your dad said. And, and my son goes, I know, just ask him. <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> just knock me right back down to earth. Right back down to earth. Uh, so obviously, you spurred them on to a win and a great defensive performance. Uh, I, I've thought for a while that they have the talent in the room, and it just, it, for some reason or another, it hasn't. They haven't been able to put it together. Do you think that they can kind of yank themselves out of this mess? Yeah, I, I hope so. I think you're just asking guys to to uh, for a little bit more, a little bit more of a, a commitment, a dedication to your role on the team and what you bring. And it seemed like everybody kind of brought their best uh, um, last night. And it was a big win. It was two teams kind of in similar situations that are younger teams, only a couple older guys on each team. And their young guys are trying to find their way in this league and be top guys and leaders and consistent. So. Uh, there's a lot of goals. There's a lot of celebrations last night. It was an exciting game for the fans. And uh, usually I'm not cheering for either team, but last night I'm, I'm really glad the Canucks won. Nice. Uh, one of my favorite conversations on air, um, not question and answer, but convos was with you on the code. I'm not sure if you saw Mike Rupp's breakdown on Matthews in the scrum against the Flyers, talking about uh, Matthews, Smirk, and his teammates having to defend him and how that could grow tired in a room. I thought it raised some like legit questions on a couple different levels. Did, did you see the breakdown? I did not see the breakdown. Uh, I watched the, the scrum and everything, but you're, you're just stirring the pot right now, Tim, with this uh, subject right no, here. No, I'm not, uh, because I think there's like a bunch of different, I, well, I am, admittedly, yes, I yeah. am. But I, but I think there's a bunch of different levels like, I don't think Connor McDavid would be, and I said this on the air, would be asked to fight. Um, I don't think he has to defend himself, but we've seen Sidney Crosby do it. Like, I just, I wonder your take, because you weren't adverse to these kind of things, neither, um, you know, doing it yourself or stepping up and defending one of your teammates, and I think that's why you were so loved in Vancouver. I think what you look, what I take from that, watching it right now, again, is... Giordano and Bunting and the willingness for these yeah. guys to stick up for Matthews like that's that's the positive but that's this is a team that cares about each other and this is their best player and Konechny's not a big guy and and honestly had this probably un, un, unplayed a little bit I think and the Matthews and Konechny were kind of like separated from everybody like right there he's not backing down 
I think it might have there might have been a fight, maybe if if everybody didn't jump in. But obviously the Leafs don't want that. They got in there quickly. But by no means did Matthews break down there or um, uh, back down. I think he stood his ground. I know you see my daughter there in the background getting ready. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a good team galvanizing moment. (laughs) Yeah, and and at the end of it, I thought the same thing. And and. I'll just give you this. Like, my dad and I had a convo, and he's like, this convo's taken place since I've been on this earth, and he's about to be 85 years old. He said, like, Mario got this, you got to be tougher. Jean Beliveau got this, you got to be tougher. And no one looks back in their career and said, Mario had to be tougher, or Jean Beliveau had to be tougher. But there are galvanizing moments for teams when guys like that get into those spots. Well, toughness, Tim, doesn't mean always fighting, right? right? Toughness means not backing down, not altering your game when things get physical. And and you look at the guy who dropped the puck for me last night, Daniel Sedin, probably like the poster boy, Henrik and Daniel, as far as neither ever got into an NHL fight, but neither guy ever backed down. I never had to worry about these guys shying away when when it got physical. I never expected those guys to fight. But certainly they weren't going to back down from any physicality. They weren't going to pass the puck a little bit sooner because they knew they were going to get hit. And I think Matthews has always been that kind of player where everybody knows he's not backing down. He's not afraid to go to the dirty areas in the corners. He's big. He protects the puck. So I don't think you should expect every guy to, to have to fight to prove how tough they are. Right. And, and to be fair to Mike Rupp, he didn't say he had to fight. It was just uh, whether or not he needed to do more. Uh, you mentioned the book signing. And it's not the only thing that we're celebrating this weekend, Kevin Bieksa. Uh, I've got the Daily Hive. The Bieksa family has two things to celebrate. What a, what a rocket. Look at that rocket. <laughs> <laughs> I can click that up then, here. Uh, Cedar is this, the book. Uh, you got a bookmark here. Uh, what? Look at that body. Oh, look at that. Look at that chest. Can you That's put on a shirt? I used to look. <laughs> I used to have a body like this. We all used to. Um, well, not quite. But, yeah, I know. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying though, right? Us little guys. Some of us are losing our, our hair and some of us are getting thinner. <laughs> so Katie BX, the Cedars, the book. Uh, this must be a kind of a cool weekend just for the whole family as your daughter it, gets it's ready. Amazing, yeah. It's amazing. And that's why my daughter just walked through. She's They're leaving to go there right now a little bit early to get set up. But to, to be able to have last night and yesterday was about me and my family and my friends. And then spotlight sh- shifts really quickly tonight to, uh, to my wife and her accomplishments and all of our family now. Like from all the praise and about my career, it shifts to her writing career and all of her successes. So it's it's been an awesome couple of days. So we'll, we'll have some fun tonight. Yeah. Now I sit back and I'm I'm in support mode. Understood, but we'll see if Katie wins a face-off tonight. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Kevin. Appreciate it. Glad you had the weekend, yeah. and all the best to the whole family. Thanks, Tim. Talk soon, buddy. All right, there is uh, Kevin Bieksa. Uh, so Newport Jane was Katie Bieksa's first book. This one's called Cedar, and obviously... Uh, Award-winning author of Newport Jane. You saw that, too? I did see that. Right. Yeah. Well, what, did, what, what award did Kevin win? Yeah. Well, impressive family. All <laughs> Without a doubt. All yeah. right. Time for one last break. We'll do our NFL picks. Get to game time as we wrap up our week next. Into the fence. Just 90 minutes today, so it's time to make our NFL picks against the spread in week number nine. Let's check out the odds powered by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. We'll start with Uncle Timmy, who. 
kind of sort of seems to be carrying this little ship. I'm here. having a tough year. What can I say? That's well, it. you know, you say. started you started tough last year as well, and then you came on like a rocket ship. So yeah. I've got the Dolphins minus four on the road in Chicago. I just think that their that defense is decimated by trades and injury. Just so sad because you just have to choose one game. Like, get it right, Rubinoff. Uh, I'm taking the Bills. Minus 11 and a half. It's Ooh. quarterbacks. The quarterback discrepancy is crazy in this one. Zach Wilson just isn't it at the moment, and Josh Allen is, so that's it. It's all well, my rationale. this is interesting because I have the SM Bets crew picks, and they checked the polls and the DMs from the SM Bets community, and they wanted to let me know that their picks are crowdsourced. So at mm. 6 and 10, they're trying to alleviate the pressure on themselves <laughs> by saying that their picks are crowdsourced. Uh, Jets plus 11 and a half at home is what they're taking, so they're going, head. we're going to get a winner there, Jesse. One of the two will be a winner plus the Titans Swing game. plus 12 Swing game. in that one uh, as the SM bet squad says good teams win great teams cover well so we'll see <laughs> how it works out for both sides as uh they as took we... the Jets and the Titans I can't throw stones so I'm gonna stay out of it all right yeah uh, game day starts with Tim and friends. Here's what's on tap for tonight. Hockey Central after us. Then it's the Sabres against the Canes. We've also got an NBA doubleheader on Sportsnet 1 with two other games on Sportsnet now. Now it's time for game time. It's game time as we focus in on the games you'll be watching tonight. Let's begin with the Toronto Raptors who will look for their third straight win tonight as they visit Luka Doncic and the Mavs. Kem Birch is out due to right knee soreness while Fred Van Vliet is listed as questionable after missing the last two games because of a back issue. Luka leads the NBA in scoring and tonight he can join Wilt Chamberlain as the only players in NBA history to score at least 30 points in eight straight games to start the year. Will he do it? All right, here, here's the interesting thing. Wilt did it 23 times, and he did it 23 times twice. So <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous. Listen, we, we've been talking about the Raptors' defense for two games now. What they did to Trey Young was remarkably impressive. Doing it against Luka will get everyone's attention. This is a wonderful matchup. Raptors defense against Luka Doncic should be fun. OG Ananobi, best defender in the league. Guess who's going to get a lot of Luka tonight? Yes. No OG question. Ananobi. No question about it. Uh, okay, we have talked a lot this week about the turmoil surrounding the Brooklyn Nets. And earlier today, Sports Illustrated's Howard Beck wrote an article today saying essentially the Nets should burn it all down. There's nothing to salvage in Brooklyn. The Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era was a failure. Now we discussed, you also mentioned in the article that the Raptors are a potential landing spot for Kevin Durant. Now we discussed Wednesday whether you would include Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes in a deal for KD. Would you? I think the Raptors have moved beyond that. Like I don't think that they would give up Scotty Barnes and or Pascal Siakam in a deal for Kevin Durant, even if they were still interested in it. Like, I think the way that Pascal has started the year, the way the team has started the year, and the way that Scotty Barnes started the year means that they would not include those guys in a deal for Durant anymore. Look at you, because I scrolled down in the article, and Howard Beck writes, the Raptors will be suitors. 
Uh, but it'll be a package of picks and some assortment of OG Ananobi, Fred VanVleet, and Gary Trent Jr. No one believes Toronto will give up all-star Pascal Siakam now or rising star. Now a little sexier Scotty for all Martin. Raptors fans and NBA fans if it wasn't to include Pascal Siakam. Because we, we, we asked that question, would you include Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam? And the, the answer was a resounding no. Resounding is, is the understatement of the century. Yeah, and I was shocked by how resounding it was. Yeah. Uh, okay, just one more story here uh, in game time. Hockey, the Sabres, visit the Canes on Sportsnet in a matchup of two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Both teams have won three in a row heading into tonight's game. The Canes were one of the preseason favorites to win the Stanley Cup. But the Sabres have been one of the biggest surprises so far this season. Is Buffalo for real? It's a tough one, Jesse. I want to say yes, although I've seen this act before. And if you look at some of the numbers, um, shooting percentage, high danger, safe percentage, again, like it would suggest that they're getting a little lucky five on five. The equivalent of Babbitt. Yeah, it's kind of sort of suggesting that they're getting a wee bit lucky. However, sometimes with young teams, you get a little lucky, it creates momentum, and then you settle into just being that team. So we'll see if Buffalo can do that. It's like they're at that period where the ceiling is unlimited. Yeah, but we've thought that before. Yeah. Remember the 10-game winning streak? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that does it for us. Hockey Central, Carolyn Cameron, Justin Bourne, and Mike Fuda is coming up next right here on the network. want to thank uh, Kevin Bieksa, Nate Burleson, and Christine Sinclair for stopping by. But as we leave you, let's take a look back at the week that was here on Tim and Friends. Because it's, it's Friday. Friday, then. This Saturday, Sunday, what? This Friday, then. This Friday, Sunday, what? This Let's bring the flair, Jeff Ware. What's the story, Robert Ory? Let's do our duty, Oklahoma quarterback, General Booty. Pitter-patter, let's get out our set bladder. Hello and welcome to this Halloween edition of Tim and Friends. For a record 16th straight year, I am dressed up as a mediocre sports broadcaster. <laughs> I'm dressing up as someone celebrating St. Patrick's Day today. My biggest fear on planet Earth is, what if someone dies during our show? I've got to deliver the news dressed as Caillou. I, I would pull off Caillou. I'm Caillou, 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 I'm Caillou, that's me. The goat Halloween candy is... Smarties. Can what are these? These are the Canadian <laughs> Smarties. Now, yeah. do you have the American Smarties, I do, Jesse? as pointed out by a number of... There they no, are. you did not say Rockets are the best candy. Do you want to share what you're smoking with me, or are you going to keep that to yourself? Because I love you too much, baby. It was seductive and somewhat erotic. Yeah. Whirling dervish known as Kenny Reed will be by for the final hour, trotting out some of the more obscure 80s and 90s references that your heart could take. I've been told that he ran out of gas in his car. No, he didn't. Ken Reed ran out of gas at Maine and Danforth. Brutal. Woo! How do you run out of gas in 2022? Three things. Lazy, <laughs> cheap, idiot. Smell like Dick Stacy right now. <laughs> you know who Dick Stacy is? He had a combination gas station, hotel, restaurant, and country music show. Hi, I'm Dick Stacy, and by golly, we're here at the Plaza Lounge where every Saturday afternoon we do Stacy's Country Jamboree. I'm happy to be a Dick Stacy fan. Dick Stacy the legend. 
Dick Stacy the man. Did I not say obscure 80s, 90s reference? Thank right. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.